Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. I am not a food expert. I do not claim to be. 
as you know, the Speedway Show is an idea exchange. So what I am going to share with you today are some ideas that will hopefully get you thinking about uh, where you are with your own relationship with food. I'm going to share my experiences that um, I have had with uh, in terms of my relationship with food, and hopefully um, that might be of help to you. To that end, you might be thinking to yourself, now what could Spiway possibly know about struggling with weight? Why? I have seen pictures of her, and she is felt and sexy. She has cut biceps and doesn't look anything like she has ever had a weight problem in her life. <laughs> okay, so that's enough of the self-laudatory comments. I am going to start with my own story of weight because actually I have struggled mightily with weight and um, to some degree, knock on wood, I feel like I have conquered it and um I'm going to tell you how that happened, and I'll even tell you what I weigh and how much that is. When I left Zimbabwe, I'm I'm originally from Zimbabwe. I was born there. When I originally left Zimbabwe to come to the United States for college, one of the things that commonly happens at home is that, um, you know, your relatives all gather around and the uncles and the extended family and the cousins and the grandparents, everybody gathers around because they all helped to raise you, after all. Talk about it takes a village. I was actually raised by my parents, by my grandparents, and, you know, the aunts, the uncles, my cousins lived in our home, uh, and uh, I was over at my cousin's home to the point where I consider some of my cousin's siblings because we were that close growing up. So... Um, everybody is kind of in your business when you're growing up in in a in an environment like that. So I'm going off to college, and my paternal grandmother deigned to give me some advice. Now, to give you some visual of this lady, uh, my paternal grandmother was a short, tiny bird of a woman, and she, like many of my other extended family members, had some advice that she wanted to give me and uh, some admonitions too. Now, my grandma was very outspoken, and you never had to wonder or think twice about what she might be thinking about you and everything else because she always made it pretty clear. So my grandmother said to me, "Uh, listen, child, you are now going out there to the United States. Yes, Grandma. She said to me, now, take notice that there's only one of you going and there should only be one of you coming back. Now, to give you a flavor of my grandmother's opinion of me, uh, and I called my grandmother Mbuya, that's that's uh, my native language, which is Shana, that's, that's what grandmother is in Shana. So Mbuya, Moyana, Moyana is my maiden name, Mbuya Moyana was of the opinion that I was fat, just leaving the, uh, just leaving my home, and I weighed then about 125 pounds. Now I'm not that tall, so uh, I'm 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 about five foot two. So I weighed about 125 pounds, and she thought I was fat at that time. So when she said to me, "One of you is going when one of you should be coming back," quite frankly, I was not sure exactly what she meant. 
I didn't know if she meant I shouldn't get pregnant or if she meant I shouldn't gain weight. And, of course, you know, you don't ask when your great elders who are the most venerated and respected in the society give you advice. You just accept it and you say, yes, ma'am, and you go on. Uh, Now, either way, the admonition stood, and as you can tell, you know, it's been over 20 years now, and I have never forgotten it. I really wanted Maimbuya's approval because, you know, to get her approval was indeed a feat of, you know, great energy and strength and achievement because uh, she was not quick with her compliments. So it was important to me to heed her advice because I would have just been mortified uh, if I had come home and she had said, boy, you know, didn't I tell you? And look at you now, there are two of you. Boy, and she, you know, didn't want to go there. So it was. I was, I was determined to heed her advice. One of me going, one of me was going to come back. Got it. Now, some of you may have heard of freshman 15. This is the notion that college kids gain 15 pounds or thereabouts in their freshman year. And actually, when I when I read up on whether it was really, really 15 pounds, I found that freshman 15 was, you know, the number 15 was kind of a randomly assigned number. But the point is that oftentimes when uh, young kids get to college, they have a tendency to gain weight in part because of all the bad habits they pick up and in part because of all the freedom that they suddenly have to eat, you know, whatever the heck they want, whenever the heck they want to. Well, I got to college and I discovered all sorts of foods that I had not had at home. In my household in Zimbabwe, we typically ate three square meals a day with few snacks and virtually no dessert on most days. The food was generally very healthy, and, uh, you know, in in Zimbabwe there isn't a lot of, um, you know, we don't use a lot of steroids in our food. We don't use a lot of artificial things to help creatures grow bigger and fatter. And uh, so, you know, the free, the, the, the concept of the free-range chicken is um, sort of the staple at home. And um, when I got here, I was actually quite tickled to find that, you know, free-range chickens and natural-range chickens are uh, sold at a premium because it's really more natural and therefore you get less chicken for, you know, a lot more of the price. Whereas at home, That's pretty much the only kind of chicken you can get. So it was a very different kind of diet. And typically a meal consisted of a starch, a vegetable, and a meat. So they're very balanced and uh, very much, we, we, we ate very much in moderation for the most part. And so somebody who is overweight at home, um, is generally not going to be called obese because Generally, we have very few, or at least when I left home, we had very few people that would be registered as obese. So imagine my delight when I get here and I discover this huge array of fat-laden foods and desserts in the all-you-can-eat college cafeteria that was just there for the taking. Add to that, I had a girlfriend who worked for the campus pizza shop. And she would come home after the shop closed at midnight with one or two leftover pizzas, and a group of us would get pop from the soda machines, and we would eat, and we would laugh, and we would we would giggle until the wee hours of the morning. Then, full, fat, and happy, we would go to sleep on our pizza stomachs. 
Now, I didn't know anything about sodium or fat levels or carbohydrates. Not only that, but I did not notice. This was even worse. I did not notice the weight that I gained. You know, I've listened to some people on on talk shows and other shows where they talk about weight gain, and all the skinny people get up and they say things like, you know, they look incredulous and they look all, you know, almost offended, and they're like, I can't believe you gained all that weight and just didn't notice. And I have to say, I did not notice. I thought I just simply developed an affinity for more comfortable clothes, which included Things like pants with elastic, they were just more comfortable. I decided that I just liked baggy sweatshirts. Why? Because they were comfortable. And after all, they were the in thing. So all of a sudden, my wardrobe starts to change. This is how strong denial was. I, you know, when when my clothes started shrinking, I chalked it up to the learning curve I had to do in learning how to use the the dryer. I thought maybe I was heating my clothes too much and they were shrinking. Now, in Zimbabwe, we didn't have washers and dryers. It might sound kind of important, but we had maids, and the maid hand-washed the clothes. But that was because labor was very inexpensive and washing machines were considered Quite the luxury. If you found somebody who had a washing machine in their house, I mean, there were some rich people, okay? So I'm learning how to do my own laundry, and I'm assuming that my clothes are just shrinking because, you know, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And as I'm going to the stores and buying bigger and bigger clothes, I'm assuming that actually, you know, manufacturers are just making clothes at smaller and smaller sizes. And you know, it was just coincidental that I just didn't really like the way I looked in clothes. When did I ever really like myself anyway? There was one day, I kid you not, when I noticed that I could not cross my legs. And now that you want to talk about a light bulb. That should have been a light bulb. Ding, 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 ding. But no, I just thought to myself, you know, when was the last time I crossed my legs anyway? Maybe I never had the ability to cross my legs. Does everybody cross their legs? I don't think so. And I just kept on going. It wasn't until a friend of mine came to visit with her boyfriend that reality actually hit home. She took a photo of me standing with the boyfriend with, and, and she sends me this picture and puts some notation on the back about a piglet. A piglet, I say. Only your good friends can say things like that to you. She was my homegirl, too. She was from home. And I guess, you know, we uh, have a level of candor that uh, perhaps somebody else might not have had because certainly nobody else had said that to me. But, you know, I looked at this picture and I saw for the first time what other people saw when they looked at me. My face was so round. It looked like my features had been pinned into it like a pincushion. That's how chubby I was. And the thing that frightened me more than anything else, aside from being horrified at what I look like, the thing that frightened me the most was how much I had ignored my weight gain over the course of roughly my freshman year. Having dismissed my clothes being smaller to shrinkish, 
having assumed that the clothing manufacturers were the ones at fault for the increase in size, and I went from something like a size 6 to a size 13. I mean, I gained some weight. Um, but, you know, I really did. I was one of those people who believed that Denial was just a river in Egypt because I did not get the weight gain. As it came on and as I became increasingly uncomfortable with uh, posture and sitting, as I became increasingly uncomfortable in my clothes, I simply brushed it off, didn't notice. So now that I see and am horrified by all of this weight that I suddenly have, I am reminded of my grandmother's words, right? Now, my grandmother, as I said, was an outspoken woman. This lady was of the opinion that, um, you know, my sister and I, who were the only two children born to my parents, were not even real children because we were girls. And she would have endless arguments with my mama because she would always tell my mother that, you know, you need to have some real children. You need to have some sons. So going back home to my mbuya with all this additional weight would probably have been the equivalent of two of me going home. I clocked in at 162 pounds at my biggest. And that was up from 125. And as I said, I'm not that tall. I'm barely five foot two. So this was just unacceptable. And to make matters even worse, I had decided, uh, thanks to not having a whole lot to do and not having any money to, to fly home over the summers, I had decided that I was actually going to graduate in three years instead of four. So I overloaded on my credits during the semesters, and I went to summer school and took as many credits as I could, and I was going to graduate in three years. So what that meant was that having taken roughly the first year and a half to gain all of this, you know, over 40 pounds, um, I was now going to have to lose it in about a year and a half, a little under 40 pounds. But I, but, I had a, a, but I had about a year and a half to get rid of this weight. And uh, on the one hand, one might say, well, if it took you a year and a half to gain it, I suppose you could lose it in a year and a half. But as you can imagine, of course, losing weight is a whole lot harder than gaining it. So I had a lot of work to do. And um, I just decided the day that I saw that photo, I just said, enough. I have to do something about that weight. So. What was I going to do about it? Now, remember, I don't know very much about weight and weight loss and all of that stuff. First thing I tried was the easiest. I took advantage of one of the many commercials for appetite suppressants. Off I went to the drugstore, bought me some pills, took the instructed dose, and I kid you not, I sat on my bed for a whole day. The first day I took these pills, and I waited for this weight to come off. You can imagine my disappointment at the end of the day when I was just as chubby as I had been when I woke up that morning. So that didn't work. My saving grace was that I just happened to take a phys ed class that was taught by one of the football coaches. And actually, I think physical education was one of the requirements for my degree, general requirements. During the first day of class, the coach said to us, I'm going to tell you something that's going to save you thousands of dollars over the course of your life. And we're all sitting there, you know, rapt attention. 
He said, if you remember nothing else from this class, which was a good thing because I really did remember nothing else from that class except what he told us that first day. He said, there is no shortcut to weight loss besides diet and exercise. You have to put out more calories than you are taking in. It is just that simple. It's a simple concept, but you are going to be tempted by pills, and I'm thinking, well, too late for me. And he said, any machine that purports to do the work for you, you just lay there, you put this you know, electronic gadget on, and it's going to pulsate, and it's going to lose the weight for you. He said, there is no such thing they don't work. He said, if, if, it, if, if somebody tries to tell you that you can do spot reduction by using some kind of gadget and some kind of machine that you don't have to exert any energy to use, he said, it doesn't work. Save your money. Diet and exercise, period, the end. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, okay. And actually, he did save me thousands of dollars. If I could remember who that coach was and find him, I would thank him because that was the last time I bought uh, weight-suppressant pills. And, of course, you know, the other thing I figured out was weight-suppressant pills wouldn't have worked for me anyway because my problem, no, not weight-suppressant, appetite-suppressant, my problem wasn't appetite. I wasn't eating because I was hungry. I was eating because the food was there and it was good and I loved it. Now, fortunately, right about then, somebody donated to the gym a brand-new, state-of-the-art, original Stairmaster 2000-step machine. This machine was so, and this was back when the Stairmaster was a new concept. I mean, we'd never seen anything like it. And it was a step machine. Now, they've been replaced by ellipticals, but this was a phenomenal gadget. So coveted that it was put in a fenced-in area in a particular place in the gym, and you had to sign up to use it in 20-minute increments. Well, I got on that machine 20 minutes every day at five days a week. And I even got to the point where I could hit the highest level, level whatever it was, level 14, I think it was, and I could sustain that for the entire 20 minutes, and it worked. Over time, the weight dropped. By the time I went home, I was back to my original 125. And when I saw my mbuya, there was silence. She inspected me because I'm sure she remembered what she had told me to. She inspected me up and down for a long time, and I just stood there. My heart was pounding. Everything inside me was just in knots. And finally she said, and she said this in Shana, which is my late native language, she said one word, Waonda, which simply means you are thin. Boy, I tell you, the fireworks went off in my head then. I have never cherished a compliment the way I cherished that one. My Mbuya loved me, but she was one of those women who would never just tell you, right? She would tell everybody else how proud she was of me, but she never told me directly. She gave me, you know, things that she cherished, and she said that one word to me, Wawanda, and that was the one compliment that I never forgot, and boy, was that a good feeling. So here's what I learned from the entire experience. I could gain a lot of weight if I wasn't careful. I, too, could be obese just like anybody else who is. I could also lose weight if I chose. I learned that I needed to actively control my weight. Otherwise, it was going to run amok. And I also learned perhaps the most powerful thing was that because denial was such a powerful enabler, I had to do something to ensure that my weight would not get out of control. 
To address primarily that denial problem, I bought myself a bathroom scale. And every Sunday for the past 21 years since college, I have weighed myself every week. I established what I called my breakpoint weight. Totally made that up. In other words, if I get to my breakpoint weight, it didn't matter if I still felt good. Didn't matter if I if I was married and my husband thought I looked good. Didn't matter if I thought I looked good. Didn't matter if I, if my clothes still fit. If I hit that weight, I had to lose the excess no matter what. My breakpoint weight was 120. What was it? It was 129 pounds, only four pounds over my usual weight, and I set it. So low, in part because, as I said, I'm not very tall, so it doesn't take much for me to go up a dress size. But I also set it that low because it's a whole lot easier to lose 4 pounds than it is to lose 24 pounds. And 4 pounds over the course of 21 years can turn into 8 and 10 and 15 and 20. And heaven only knows. See, you've all seen this. You know, young girls, cute and thin, and by the time... You know, you get to, you know, 40 and 50, you've put on 30 pounds and have no idea how it happened because it was so slow. And we're all in denial about what we look like. So as a result of this system, up until this year, I had managed to maintain the same clothing size that I had since I lost the weight in college. Now, in fairness, I had a girlfriend who said to me, if they're not selling those clothes, doesn't matter if you still fit into them, you ought not be wearing them, which is a whole other issue. But that is how I have managed to maintain my weight. Losing weight, from my experience, is not a one-time event. It's a long-term lifestyle strategy, and it requires us, if you are starting from a place of being overweight, then it requires us to change our habits. So that is my experience with weight loss. That's what I learned about weight loss. And we'll talk more about what else we can do about our weight. But let's check out a few myths about weight. Can't have a weight discussion without talking about uh, some of the more common myths, lots of myths, but I'll give you one. Um, Skinny people are just lucky. That was my myth. I thought that. I I resented every skinny person I saw because I thought, boy, I tell you, those people, they just have that great metabolism and they just lose the weight. And... I learned when I was a waitress at the student union when I was in law school that actually most skinny people are not skinny because they're just lucky. Most skinny people apparently are skinny because they have the habits of skinny people. Here's an example. When I was at the student union, I consider myself one of the chubby people compared to, you know, the really skinny people. And not that being skinny is an objective, but... Those were the people who allowed me to see the contrast, the greatest contrast between my habits and theirs. Here's what would happen. I and all the other chubby people would trade with all the skinny people. Um, If we did a banquet and there was a salad, a, a main course, and a dessert, all the skinny people would be trolling for salads, which all the chubby people would happily give them in exchange for their German chocolate cake. I'd eat my German chocolate cake, and I'd go home and go to bed feeling very happy and satisfied. Skinny person would eat the salad, lament over the fact that it wasn't a, um, the dressing was not light, and commit to running five miles the next day to compensate for that. 
So that's how I learned that actually over time and in watching the different eating habits of different people at different weights, that's how I learned that actually many, many people are what they weigh because of what they eat. Myth number two, overweight people just overeat. Now, in some cases, like in my case, that was true. I was overweight because I just overate. And I was stagnant. I had a very sedentary lifestyle and um, didn't really get into any exercise. So it was very true for me. But that is not always the case. I happened upon a 2003 study from Imperial College London that found that people who carried a certain gene, it was called GAD2, were more likely to be obese. GAD2 apparently speeds up the production of a, new, uh, of a neurotransmitter in the brain, which in turn stimulates a person to eat. Thus, there are people who have a genetic predisposition to being obese and being overweight. The thing to take away from this, though, is, and, and I, I don't know if it's true, as I said, I'm not a doctor, so I can't speak to the vast body of uh, research out there, but the thing to take away from this, though, is that in this particular study, what they found was that people with this particular gene are more likely to be obese. It's not a death sentence. It's not something that cannot be controlled. It may be harder to control for somebody who has this gene, but it does not have to define your weight. Myth number three. Only overweight people overeat. That is not true, and that is not true, and I know it's not true because um, I don't consider myself terribly overweight at this point. Um, by statistical tables for my weight, I know I am, but I don't, I don't strive to be skinny. Um, but, you know, I overeat. I overeat from time to time. I over, there are periods in my life when I overeat. Um, this year I've traveled a great deal. And as a result, I have eaten out a lot. And I love to go out and I love to hang out with my friends and eat out, and therefore I have gained some weight. So not only uh, overweight people aren't the only ones who overeat. Many people overeat over time. Uh, it's just that those of us who weigh less than others tend to be able to control it more than those of us who weigh more than others. Last myth that I'm going to talk about, uh, most weight loss programs don't work. Now, notice I didn't say most diets. I said most weight loss programs, and that is a myth. Uh, I, would, I would argue and suggest to you that a lot of weight loss programs, particularly ones that are focused around this idea of diet and exercise, they work. What doesn't work is our ability to stick to them. And we're going to come to that in a little bit, uh, a little bit later. But now that we have these myths firmly behind us, let's talk about you know, just a few of the reasons why we overeat, and particularly over the holidays. I'm going to play you our first clip from my big fat Greek wedding. Take a listen. Mom, hungry? Okay. Ian, are you hungry? Uh, no, I already ate. Okay, I'll make you something. Okay. No. <laughs> okay, you are listening to the Speedway Show, where our topic today is our seafood diet. And if you happen to be on the website that is spelled with an S-E-E, -E, that's intentional, because we see food and we eat it. 
If you'd like to share your thoughts on why we overeat, actually, today is a live show. You can call me at 877-560-6033. After the show, you can visit this posting at www.thespeedwayshow.com and read a variety of articles and resources on why we overeat and how to kick the habit. Based on the clip that you just heard, our first reason is peer pressure. Did that sound like your mama (laughs) or your dad or your aunt or your grandma, some other relative who loves to cook and insists that you eat everything on your plate? And depending on cultural norms, you know, sometimes if you refuse the food or if you don't finish it, it is a deeply, deeply offensive thing. And to many of us, this happens throughout the year. How often did you pretend to like something someone has offered you just to be polite, whether it's at work or at home or at somebody's house? And, uh, you know, they say, here, it took me four hours to make this. Try it. And then you take a convincing bite and you make, you know, a big show of chewing. Mm, Yes, this is great. This tastes great. And, you know, the delighted response comes back. I am so glad you like it. Here, have another one. And then you're sort of sitting there, you know, munching away and thinking, boy, when is this going to be over? When can I turn around and stop eating? So peer pressure is a big deal. And if you grow up in a household where your parents expect you to eat, And they have in their heads this idea that, you know, having a healthy and growing child means you have to finish and clean the stuff on your plate and have seconds. Then, you know, this becomes a reason that turns into a habit later on that is not good for us but increases our propensity to overeat. Reason number two, especially around the holidays, well, the food is there, right? Um, I'm at home. I've got nothing else to do. I'm on vacation, hanging out with the family, and here is the kitchen, and there is the fridge, and there is the pantry at my beck and call two steps away from me just about everywhere because I find myself over there looking for something to eat. Am I hungry? No. But I just want to eat, and the food is there. This also happens in particular for me. This happens. I struggle with this at work, especially around the holidays. Because there is always something to eat that is left. You know, somebody had a party over the weekend and has leftover sweet potato pie. They bring it to work and leave it in plain sight in some public place where I have to walk by to get to the restroom or to get to my office. What else is there to do but to eat to, to eat whatever that is? Or the coworker shows up at the team meeting with bagels and donuts to celebrate the Christmas season. How do you say no when... You have to sit there and look at those delicious treats and the whole meeting they're yelling, eat me, eat me. What else are you going to do, right? Well, there's a bake sale in the cafeteria and you have to go in there for lunch. I mean, you know, the reasons go on and on, right? Whether you're at home, whether you're at work, here is the food sitting in front of you. What else is there to do with it? But eat it. Reason number three, kind of related, is boredom. I'm home, ain't got nothing to do. Here's food, especially if it's a big family gathering because somebody cooked a whole lot of something. And um, I'm expected to eat it anyway, so I'm going to eat it. And um, then we get to reason number four, which is, uh, you know, uh, a little bit darker. So given that it is a little bit darker, I tried to find us a pretty funny clip. Here we go. <laughs> 
is a dog. He's not even worth thinking about. Trust me, you will meet someone else. Yeah? When? Where? All the good ones are either married or gay. <laughs> She's sweet. I was talking about Bob. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, that was from the show Desperate Housewife. And um, it illustrates that, you know, reason number four, many of us are emotional eaters. And we can wrap a lot of negative emotions into this one, right? Just broke up with my boyfriend. I'm depressed. I'm going to eat. Yay! I'm happy. I'm going to eat. Oh, I'm sad. I'm going to eat. Oh, I'm lonely. I'm going to eat. I'm stressed. I'm going to eat. I am really angry. Munch, munch, munch. I hate myself, so I eat. Fear, worry, insecurity, and every other emotion under the sun may be an excuse to eat. The bottom line is many of us use food to self-medicate. Food can be an addiction just like alcohol, drugs, sex, and anything else that we may dive into in an effort to run away from ourselves. You remember the myth we discussed earlier that overweight people are not the only ones who overeat? That myth applies here too. Overweight people are not the only ones who self-medicate. Some people who self-medicate with food just have more control over it, or they're able to work the weight off in healthy ways with exercise and by controlling their bad habit. Other people compensate in unhealthy ways by binging and throwing up, or working out in excess and becoming anorexic, or by ingesting things like laxatives and other devices intended to rid the body of the food that they take in. Reason number five, bad habits. There are so many of these, it's not even funny, right? Um, Sometimes overeating is just the result of bad habits. Like, um, as I said before, I was raised to clean my plate, so I'm going to eat everything on my plate. And uh, if you're in the United States, it's pretty. It's a pretty big plate. Plate if you eat out. Another bad habit. Um, what do we focus on during the holidays? Family and food. And we love our food in particular. And we talked about how that can get in the way of our healthy weights. Uh, I remember. You know, we are expected to overeat over the holidays. And I even remember uh, our Thanksgiving show that I did uh, with Barbara Hoffmeister, and I said to everybody, hey, you know, happy Thanksgiving, and I encouraged everybody to celebrate and eat everything, which cracked Barbara up at the time. Another bad habit, we are inconsistent eaters. I starve myself for breakfast. Maybe there are long periods of time during the day where I don't eat so that by the time I do eat, maybe it's at dinner time, I do want to eat everything. Or contrast, maybe you're a snacker and you like to snack on everything. And it just so happens that, you know, at work, what do you have access to? You have access to the high-sodium, high-sugar, high-carbohydrate snacks in the vending machines um, that are not necessarily good for you, or worse yet, they're in your pantry in your home. Maybe you like all the wrong foods like me. I like the simple carbohydrates. I like the donuts or the muffins for breakfast. If I had my way, I'd snack on candy, pretzels, chocolate during the day every day. That's me. Maybe your bad habit is that you are always on some sort of highly restrictive diet, right? And it's one of those hold your breath for as long as you can, deprive yourself of everything kind of diet. And so you hold your breath 
And then the minute you take a breath, you inhale everything in sight before you take another big breath and hold it again. Then you wonder why your weight is going up and not down. Perhaps you also have the innocuous habit of eating out most of the time. I am, you know, rather surprised at how many women take pride in the fact that they can't cook. Um, My mother taught me how to cook a long time ago because when I was 16, she said, you know, you have such a mouth on you. Um, I'm figuring that being able to cook is probably the only way you're going to be able to maintain a husband. Well, that will be a show for another day. But, um, you know, uh, oftentimes there are um, people who sometimes travel or there are people who just like to eat out. But um, uh, whatever the reason, the bottom line is there are a lot of food experts out there who will agree that a dish that you prepare using lean ingredients at home is typically healthier than an equivalent meal that you would pick up from a restaurant. Maybe you're a mindless eater like me. You eat and eat. You nibble on this. You you take a bite of that. You take a little bit of that. And because I mindlessly eat, you know, high fatty foods, then um, you know you find yourself gaining weight. And you say you say things like, "Oh, you know, I really don't eat that much. I don't understand why I'm gaining weight." In my case, you know, I start to blame it on my age. Well, you know, I'm over forty, and everybody says it's easier to gain weight and harder to lose it at my age. Uh, that takes us to reason number six. I just love food. I, I love food, I confess. Uh, maybe you're one of those people who says, hey, there's nothing psychologically or emotionally wrong with me. I just love food. I like to try different foods. I like to cook different foods. And if you're fortunate like me, I happen to live in the Twin Cities where you could probably eat at a different decent restaurant for a year and never run out of places to go and interesting things to try. Now, most of us don't just have one reason for overeating. Uh, I'm a mindless eater. I love food. I eat when I'm bored. I eat when I'm home. I love sugar, and I enjoy eating out. So there. Uh, Don't I have high hills to climb? And I get seduced with food. It feels good when I eat it. I like to savor the cookies, the peanuts, the cakes, and whatever. And uh, I consider it part of really being in the moment and enjoying my life. And... um, And my experience kind of goes the way of the next clip from the movie um, Finding Nemo. Take a listen. Now, Dory, I want you to tell me, do you see anything? I see a... I see a light. A light? Yeah, over there. Hey, Conscience, am I dead? Oh, I, I, I see it too. What is it? It's so pretty. I, I'm feeling happy, which is a big deal for me. I want to touch it. Oh. Hey, come back. <laughs> come on back here. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to swim with you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to be your best friend. Good feelings gone. I think it was an anglerfish, huge teeth. 
And so they get close to the teeth, and they're chasing the light, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're at the jaws, and they go running, screaming. And that's kind of my experience with food. You are listening to the Speedway Show, where our topic is today, our seafood diet. And um, after the show, you can visit this posting at thespeedwayshow.com for highlights from the show, and uh, share it with your friends and check out the resources available to you. So moving from why we overeat, let's just take a moment to acknowledge the fact that there are some bad reasons to lose weight. And a bad reason is one that doesn't provide you the appropriate motivation or positive motivation in order to lose weight. So bad reasons are things like, you know, it's that time of year, I should be making a resolution anyway, maybe I feel like I'm supposed to lose weight because that's what everybody else is doing. Uh, those things don't generally work. Here's the, uh, another clip that I'll play you of an example of a bad reason in action. Take a listen. You and Marcus. I'm a pricey y'all. Oh, no, honey. We need to talk about you and Mike. Now, that's who needs prayer. <laughs> Mike is not so bad. I, I just need to lose some weight, and it'll get better for us. It's me. I know Sheila. it's me. Sheila, don't play yourself it's like that. me. No. That came from the Tyler Perry movie, Why Did I Get Married? And um, that, too, is a topic for another show. But um, what you hear is, uh, Sheila, who's unhappily married and overweight, thinking that her marriage is going to be turned around if she just loses weight. Bad, bad reason to lose weight. Um, you know, it's my personal opinion that you can't lose weight for somebody else. You have to do it for you. And for those of you who might be thinking, boy, you know, how can I get my so-and-so to lose weight? I, I think it's also true. I've never heard it work successfully. Um, but, you know, goading somebody into losing weight, trying to get them to lose weight, pushing them, uh, chasing them down, taking stuff out of their hands, also not a good way to get somebody to lose weight. If you're going to commit to losing or controlling your weight, you have to do it for you. And do it for reasons that resonate deep within your soul. They might not make a whole lot of sense to anyone else, but they have to be good enough that they make you stump your foot mentally or physically and say, Enough, which is what I have to get to. Enough. That has to mobilize you and make you determined and give you the motivation to move to immediate action. Too many people spend their lives walking down the tomorrow aisle in the grocery store, packing the sweets and unhealthies into their carts, the whole time saying, tomorrow I'll lose weight because they're in the tomorrow aisle, right? Tomorrow I'll get it together and really do something different. Tomorrow, I'll go to the gym. And they wander around the tomorrow aisle, and they never leave. If you decide to lose weight, you have to decide now. And you can't make exceptions. You can't say, well, I'm going to lose weight. Oh, but the holidays are coming. I'll start after. If the holidays are coming, they're always going to be coming. Every year, the holidays come. You need to plan your strategy for how you're going to be successful at sticking to your weight loss plan through and past the holidays. It can be done, but you have to reason but you have to really want it. And um I'll give you an example of my reasons. I'm not claiming that they're particularly amazing and, you know, earth shattering, but they work for me. 
I want for myself, I want to be healthy and I want to feel well. I feel healthiest and best when I'm at my ideal weight. When I am overweight and sluggish, I feel sloppy, I feel uncomfortable in my own skin because I'm not as agile, um, I don't sleep as well, I just I generally feel unwell, I don't like the way my clothes look on me, I'm just uncomfortable. I don't like feeling that way. And I am certainly not buying new clothes at bigger sizes to accommodate weight I didn't even want in the first place. I simply will not do it. Having done it once before, I'm not going to do it again. Going to the gym for me um, has become a habit. And it, on most days it feels good. I still have days where I get there and I'm just like, oh, I really don't want to be here. And I go through the workout and I'm just like, oh, thank goodness it's over. But on most days it, feel, it feels good. I'm told that it releases endorphins and um, other hormones into your system that actually have that effect on you, and I like it. I like being able to wear whatever I want to look decent in it. Um, I want to look as good on the outside as I want to feel on the inside. And all of those things, when I see pictures of myself when I'm at my fittest and I'm at my best, that is my reward. And with that, let's listen to our next clip from the movie Eat, Pray, Love. Um, And this was... um, a clip where uh, we had uh, somebody who was feeling kind of empty and um, not too good about herself. And as a matter of fact, I'm looking at my list and I'm realizing that actually that clip is not teed up, so we are not going to listen to that today. Um, So moving along, I'm going to share with you a concept that was suggested by uh, a woman by the name of Janine Roth. And she wrote a book called Women, Food, and God. The underlying premise of the book is that our relationship with food is iconic of our relationship with everything else in our lives. If you visit thespeelayshow.com, you'll be able to, uh, if you scroll down to the bottom of this show, you'll see the book there and you can take a look at it and purchase it if you choose. But she suggests that the way you eat and how you think about food is the same as the way you approach everything else in your life. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, "Mm, I'm not sure if I agree with that. And uh, as I do with all new ideas that I'm not so sure about, I just kind of live with the idea for a while, and I turn it over in my head, and I, I, I test it out. And I actually found that for me it was true. I'll give you this example. My relationship with food today looks like this. I am in the best physical shape that I have ever been in life. I am more consistent about going to the gym today. The path behind me is definitely much longer than the path in front of me to get to my ideal place physically. However, at this point in my life, I find that I actually broke through my breakpoint weight within the past five months. I weighed more um, probably even a month ago than I have weighed in the past 20 years since I lost all that weight. That is my relationship with food right now. So I have to lose it. I'm back, you know, I'm I'm going to the gym every day now <laughs> to try and get rid of this this last, you know, my my I'm back down to my breakpoint weight, but at one point I was up to 133.4 pounds, and that was the point when I said, "Okay, enough." So that's the relationship I have with my food. Here's the relationship I have in my spiritual life. At this point in my life, 
Um, and if you listen to the show uh, How You Too Can Talk With God or uh, the show uh, Relationship, uh, I think it's called uh, Relationship With God, um, you know, I am at a point where the path behind me is much longer than the path ahead of me in that I am closer to God today. We talk every day uh, than I have been probably at any other time in my life. However, my uh, regimen for talking uh, formally with God, my meditation practice is off. And it has been less consistent in the past, I'd say, couple of months than it has been in the past couple of years. So, again, that is similar to my relationship with food. Doing better than ever before, but lately have done worse than in the past. My relationship with my finances, same thing. Making more money today than I have in my life. path ahead of me is shorter than the path in front of me, but I have spent more money in the past year, past couple of months, than I have uh, previously. So after I gave that some thought, and that's just my example in my life, I haven't done a study and I haven't perused other people, but it was at least enough to suggest to me that actually maybe uh, Janine Roth had a point, and uh, perhaps there is a correlation between your relationship with food and your relationship with other aspects of your life. Bottom line is, if you have a problem with food, the problem lies not between your lips, but between your two ears. It's what's in your head. That's the problem. And in order to resolve it, you have to first address the way you think. Now, for some of us, it's just a matter of getting to the point where I am willing to make the choice to do something different in my life. For some of us, it's a lot more complicated than that. It's peeling back layers and layers and layers of habit and, 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 and other psychological and emotional issues. Perhaps it's addressing pain from our childhood. Maybe I started eating because my dad molested me and I figured out that, hey, maybe if I got fat, um, he might not be so interested in me anymore. Maybe I was, I was, I was um, uh, molested as a kid. There are a lot of people who are molested. Uh, in their youth, and maybe I figured out that if I gained weight, maybe that guy down the street or that woman down the street would be less interested in me, and so that's where the habit came from. There might be a lot that has to happen in order to address what's going on in your mind, but I would suggest to you that for most of us, most of us, the issue that we have to address, however big or small, first happens in our head. Now, aside from the mental stuff, you might be wondering about the whole diet thing, especially since I said earlier in the show that most weight loss programs work, and I would suggest to you that actually they do. It's not the program that's the problem. It's our ability to stick to it. If all you have, for example, is a shake for breakfast, a shake for lunch, and a reasonable snack in between breakfast and lunch, a reasonable snack between lunch and dinner, and you have a reasonable dinner, how do you not lose weight? If you limit yourself to fewer calories than you are burning every day, how do you not lose weight? If you limit yourself to a certain number of points, if you're on a points diet and you stick to it, you can't help but lose weight. My coach's instruction was you just got to take in less than you are putting out and you will lose weight. And that is true for any weight loss program that involves 
you're burning more calories than you are taking in. They do work. We just don't know how to stick to them. So part of what I would suggest to all of you listeners is you have to find the weight loss regimen that works for you. I personally find the um, points diet, Weight Watchers, I love it. Um, did it a long time ago, years ago, and have you know kept my little books with the points in them. I know how many points I have to be under in order to lose weight, and it works. It works. And But it's a lifelong commitment. So I had to commit to a program that I could sustain over the course of my life and for the past 21 years. That's what I've stuck to, not that particular diet because it wasn't around back then, but just this whole idea that whether it's excess exercise compared to what I'm used to or whether it's eating less and exercising if I want to be more efficient, that's what I have to do. And you have to find that habit that's going to work for you. I'm going to play you a um, clip from Think and Grow Rich. Uh, Take a listen. Impulses begin immediately to translate themselves into their physical equivalent, whether those thoughts are voluntary or involuntary. Even thought impulses that are picked up by mere chance, thoughts that have been released by other minds, may determine your financial, business, professional, or social destiny just as surely as the thoughts that you create by intent and design. This circumstance also explains why some people seem to be lucky, while others of equal or greater ability, training, experience, and brain capacity seem destined to have misfortune. The explanation is that you have the ability to completely control your own mind. With this control, you may open your mind to the thought impulses that are being released by other brains, or you can close the doors tightly and admit only thought impulses of your own choice. Nature has endowed human beings with absolute control over only one thing, and that one thing is thought. This fact, coupled with the additional fact that everything we create begins in the form of a thought, leads us very near to the principle by which fear may be mastered. Think yourself in. You move towards the strongest impression in your mind. And what you tell yourself is what's going to be true for you. If what you tell yourself is, I'm never going to lose this weight, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, you are absolutely right. If what you tell yourself is, I can lose weight, I'm going to do whatever it takes, If I have to go to the gym every single day in order to get rid of this weight, that's what I'm going to do. You are absolutely right. So that is what I want to leave you with today, that you are what you think. Some people say you are what you eat, and that's true, but I think more importantly, you are what you think. If you can contain your thought process and you can control what you tell yourself about your weight, and you keep at it consistently telling yourself those things, then your self-suggestion is going to direct you in the direction that you want. The other thing that I would suggest, and this worked very well for me, and um, if I had the time I'd play you a clip, but I don't because we're nearing the top of our hour, is surround yourself with images of success. Visualize your success. 
Um, you might want to check out the show, Your Happiness, Your Misery, Your Choice, at thespeedwayshow.com to hear more on discussing and creating your vivid vision of success that you want in your life. But visualize what you want to be and visualize the weight you want to be at. And over time, if you do that on a consistent basis, for me it's every day and every night, you are going to get there. Personally, when I thought about who I would most like to emulate in terms of, you know, six-pack abs and a gorgeous physique, it was Janet Jackson. So I have a picture of Janet Jackson in my um, bathroom. And every day when I open my mirror, I see that picture and I remember that that is what I'm aspiring to. And I get in my car, I have a picture of her on my dash, and I remember, especially when I'm going through the drive through that this is what I aspire to. And over time, um, I expect to look like her. Why? I've got, uh, I, I've got, I've got biceps that are starting to look like hers. <laughs> and so, start with your mind, and then find the regimen that works best for you. So this brings us to the end of our show. And what I would say to you is, don't let Christmas stop you from being in control of your weight. Don't use that as an excuse. Join me next week for another episode of, uh, of the Speedway Show where I will be talking to, I think next week I'll be talking to Sheila Ford, author of Love Letters to Him. And we're going to be talking about coping with Christmas. How do you do it? So until then, this is Speedway saying go in peace and get a handle on that weight. And if you would like, go check out the website for some suggestions and some hints and tips on how to do it and some interesting studies. Thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Until next time, live well, live fully, and love deeply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.